Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... So we're here with Donald Miller, and, and, and I said this earlier when we did take one of this that didn't work, but it's a snowy day in Nashville. We're all uh, uh, snowed in. I guess it's sort of snowed in for Nashville because we're right at It's like a record. Six, six yeah. inches in one is day. It really? is, is, yeah, four, it's really four, a record? Sorry. No, yeah. Four inches is the old record. Six inches is what happened yesterday. That's a lot for Nashville. Oh, yeah. I feel like in Nashville, it, you don't have to debate whether we're snowed in. If there's snow, yeah, you're snowed, snowed in. in. <laughs> That's how it works in Nashville. It's so true. It's so true. But this is so, so, Don, it's fun having you on because a lot of reasons. But one, you know, John and I are big fans. We, we, uh, we, as followed, I am of you, as I don't said earlier that. before don't, you were Listen, this, this is our podcast. Okay? Let him, let him speak, uh, Dave. <laughs> I told you I've listened to four episodes. I listened to one episode of Dak Shepard, four of yours, and no other podcast ever. That puts you at diamond status, by the way. You'll get a card yeah. from us. Where... You're going to get a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, a no-sleeve sweatshirt. I don't um, know if I'm a good brand for you. Dad, yeah. oh, I love that podcast. These numbers start to decline. Love it. Here, hold on. Here, take my headphones. Put this in your ears. Listen to this guy. Oh my god, that sounds like a Geico commercial, doesn't it? Like, or whatever that. The, the all, what, what's the thing where like you're turning your dad? That's exactly, that's the next uh, bit they need genius. to do. Here, listen to this, and he's yelling. Yeah. He's shoving it. Here, in just your take ears. one headphone. We'll listen together. You've ever heard of Three Dog <laughs> Night? And you're like, Dad, please. Uh, <laughs> but so, I mean, it's it's crazy sitting here with you, Donald, because I think you know John and I both have known about you for a long time. We've known mm-hmm. you, uh, gosh. I don't even know when we met. Dad. It's been a long ten, time. Pl- ten plus years, right? It's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. And then you've been in Nashville how long? Eight years. So it's been. I mean, it's probably fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. Dad. But I do remember wow. meeting you and it being like it was a moment for me. I was like, oh, this is <laughs> sorry. This is <laughs> sorry. I didn't. I don't put my hand on everybody's <laughs> knee. <laughs> one time, Dave. One time. <laughs> I remember meeting you la- last that year. Cop was so and nice. You put your hand. <laughs> You put your hand on my knee, and we were just walking, which is yeah. weird. <laughs> Waste to hip. I, and it um, required so much effort on your story. part. I really respected it. Uh, true story. Wrote my first book through Painted Deserts. Sold uh, dismally. And I got the copies in Houston where, I, where my family lived. I lived in Portland, but I went down for Christmas. And I'm going to give the copies of my new book, first book ever published in my family, to my family for Christmas. I, I wanted it to be a surprise. My, my mom said, hey, can you go exchange this thing at Walmart and I'm like yes so I got out and the books were in the trunk I'm flipping through the book last page of the book there's a line that I wrote that said I'm walking with my hands in my pockets it's a it's a road trip about me and my buddy Paul the typo that they printed in the first edition of my first ever book is I'm walking with my hands in his pockets oh (laughs) my gosh and that's how the book ends (laughs) <laughs> no which can we just talk about True the imagery story. of that like how do you even do that there's several like, ways to do it because i've pictured it several times <laughs> sure. but my favorite is when sure. you're behind them and your hands right. are that's in their what i was pockets. yeah that's what <laughs> i was sort of seeing too you know what's funny is that there are many many people out there who their life was changed by that where they're like man they you know what he <laughs> he was leading me down this one path and then on the last line 
It's like turned six, the whole the thing on its head. Yeah. There's <laughs> tattoos. The people have hair. tattoos of that. That's a marital tattoo. My hands are in like people, Couples hands have gotten that pockets. tattooed on their fingers instead of rings. <laughs> My hands like, are in his pocket. An elven from Lord of the Rings. And like just right around there. Um, so, so Donald, this, let me, I'm going to intro you. This is the pro. This is where I read your pro stuff. So buckle up. Okay. So Donald Miller is the CEO of Business Made Simple. Uh, and that's businessmadesimple.com, an online platform that teaches business professionals everything they need to know to grow a business and enhance their personal value on the open market. He is the host of Business Made Simple podcast, so he's a pro, and is the author of several books, some, I mean, some dingers in there too, including the be- a bestseller, Building a Story Brand. He lives and works in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Elizabeth, and baby girl, Emmeline. Oh. Oh. His latest book, Hero on a Mission, which we're going to talk about. Will release, will release, or I guess at this point has released. Once you mm-hmm. listen to this, uh, January eleventh, twenty twenty two. So, Don, I want to start with this. Like, first of all, I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot of things we could talk about as we're talking about meeting you and how I just remember that. I, I wish I could remember when that happened, Don, because I feel I feel like if I remembered it, it would all come together. But it's just it was such a big deal in the hand. The whole Nashville thing. Uh, like Trent Dabbs, Thad Cockrell, Matt Wirtz, you, yep. all the Jars of Clay guys. Yep. There was like a three-month period when I was living in Portland Yeah, where we all, separately, <laughs> we would all just kind of, because I was a fan, I'd go to your yeah, show and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really fat. I was I was 387 pounds and you guys were all really cool. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It just meant the world to me. I mean, like all these Dude, girls I, who were my friend, I'm like, see, I'd hang out with normal people and, <laughs> <laughs> Look at these guys. They can hang out with me. Hang out with me too. But you know, it, it's funny. Like, uh, uh, I, I kind of wanted to start by saying thanks. And one of the things that I wanted to thank you for is actually fast forward the storyline book that you did was such. It was a workbook, and for those who know about it right now, you're listening and nodding because it was so great. But it was such a huge impact to me. In fact, I, I, I hung out with uh, Sure the other day, and we were having lunch, mm-hmm. and I literally said, do you know where I can get more of those? And he was like, oh, I think those things, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's gone. But that I remember, I mean, just to just to encourage you, that was, I remember pretty succinctly where I was when I sat down and did that workbook. It was like 2000, like 10 or 11. We were in our house before this one, and you had a thing, it was such a great book, but one of the things you had everybody do is plot out your, like you did the line where it was like right. the wins and kind of the losses. Yeah. And I, you know, I was probably, it's been a decade ago, so early thirties and I never, just never sat down to do that. And it was life changing for me because I think the way that, you know, you kind of had it laid out was think about the things in your life. And I think you had, maybe you only wanted five or six. It wasn't like, you know, yeah. in like six point font throughout the timeline. But you know, what are the things you felt like were losses or hard things or, and then on the top part, you know, write the things that were wins that were successes. And it was crazy that I'd never sat down and do that in my life. But, and you made this point in the book is like, you'll start to see a pattern of things usually of like the losses seem to can sometimes have a similar theme and the wins can too. Mm. And it was, it, it blew my mind how much seeing it for the first time, like mm. what the theme of my losses was extremely similar. Mm. Um, and then when the successes would happen in accordance to the losses was really right. fascinating. Successes and I think build or yes. those painful moments rebound and create it was crazy. really amazing yeah. things. So a huge thank you to that because it was, I, I remember I bought 15 of them and I had them wow. sitting in my writing room and I would just give them to people. Cause I was like, Hey, you just need to do this. It was kind of my first brush with doing something that I could visually see where I'm like, wow, that, you know, and I think too, it, it was so life changing for me. Cause again, I realized that the theme of mine 
you know, there was a theme that was consistent the whole time with losses, which was really overwhelming mm -hmm. and sad, but then really clarifying. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how many people know that book, but man, that, that workbook was incredible, man. I, thought, I remember when you would give each one of those out to people who wrote with you, you would write in already on their timeline. <laughs> I got to write with Dave Barnes. That's that was point. always near the end. The that was a high point. Scene. A couple people, it was a low point, but most I'd put it on the high point. Yeah. Your, your life did work out. Is what yes. But that, that workbook was incredible, man. It was such a helpful, wonderful thing. So, so thanks for putting the time into that. Cause it was like super clarifying for me. I'm really glad. Great. Yeah. The, the storyline was uh, a conference and that was the conference workbook. And, um, I had discovered Viktor Frankl years before that, and he really changed my life. May have mm. saved my life, mm -hmm. and certainly saved the quality of my life. Yeah. And uh, I remember wanting to make his ideas practically applicable because he's so freaking clinical, and uh, and yet it's pretty easy to apply. What he did, and so Storyline was my first attempt at that. And I literally prayed to God, I want to take mm. a million people through this. We wow. took about 10,000 people through it. So there's 990,000 to go. <laughs> <laughs> we got to print some more of those books then. <laughs> but the, but here on a mission is the, is the next attempt. I really have tried ever since Storyline to do it again and, mm, yeah. and really explain it in such a way that it's engaging. And I just couldn't, I mean, I really couldn't figure out how to write it and, uh, and then I'm so thankful that, you know, a little over a year ago I sat down. A lot of times, I'm sure it's like that when you write a song, but you you get started and you just can't get it, you know. Oh. And then there's other times when yeah. you start it, you and you know from day one this yep. might be finished within the hour. Yeah, and right. It's gonna yeah, be right. good. Right. And that this book was that way. It, it yeah. just felt like this is gonna this. This drive is going to go all the way to the end yes, zone. Yes, right. and yes, yes. So hopefully, there's a second shot at helping people figure out the story of their life and improve it. Yeah, yeah. I'm super duper. And then, and then, not to mention just blue like jazz. John and I were talking about that earlier, and just like, you know, I, I mean, mean, blue like jazz is it's the first book that I that brought me to tears. I think my whole wow, my whole life for real. Yeah, and I remember the moment. I remember I was in Michigan. Uh, for a summer, I would get up early in the morning and sit by this lake and read. I would read that book. You know, like every everyone was reading that book. Somebody gave me a copy of it, and uh, and I remember just like crying mm. multiple times. It was such an impactful book for me. I think it was the first time that I had I had like you know because I was probably twenty, maybe twenty one. Or something like that. So it was like the first time that I like read a book on my own fruition as an adult, and and like you know went it changed sort of like slightly the course of my life. I saw yeah. things slightly happening, differently. What you know was what happening I mean? in your life in Michigan at twenty? That I was at. Uh, I was at a young life camp called Timberwolf. Actually, so I I was my band and I were supposed to go out on a, on a tour this one summer. We had like a booking agent who was supposedly booking all these uh, these dates, which should have should have been a red flag from the beginning because I should have been like, well, no one would book me. How are you booking all these dates? <laughs> How are you booking these dates? What do you know that no it's, one else does? It's a much longer story, but the long story short, there all of a sudden there were no dates. It was like, you know. It was like the rug was pulled out from under us. So like literally like yeah. June 1st, we were all like, all right, let's go. And it was like, no one can get a hold of the guy who was booking all these dates. Like, 
We don't have anything to wow, do this summer. Wow, you got Bernie Madoff in the yeah. got, booking yes. industry. Catfish That's like, exactly. I, so when that happened and all those people lost billions of dollars, I was like, look, hey, I've got, <laughs> when you're done with your story, I'll go. <laughs> I was supposed to do Timberland. I was supposed to do 12 to 15 dates. This one summer, I was bringing home a cool seventeen hundred dollars. I don't understand how that's even financially viable for him. Well, he didn't get any money. He just they just wanted you guys to like him. See, John, you're asking too many. I mean, uh, yeah, we're getting we're getting into the story here right now. This is this is a problem with our industry. (laughs) (laughs) The school that I went to uh, had a started a record label. It was it was a great thing. I mean, it it was it was awesome. But they were trying to do all the areas like right. we will market you we will record we'll pay for so the he recording did, he needed we'll... it for his doctoral dissertation <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. exactly you were the test you were the test he you turned the, the, his thesis in and then he left town <laughs> 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 so anyway so i didn't have anything to do and and long story short i it, we ended up at this young life camp because they're they didn't have any music that whole summer and last you know at the last minute Somebody got in touch with me and they were like, well, I know you're not doing anything this summer. So <laughs> will you come up and do this? And I, I wasn't really familiar with Young Life at all. I, I didn't, I grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up going to Young Life. I didn't really know what it was about. So I was at this Young Life camp all of a sudden. And I was like getting up at four in the morning and like working in the kitchen, making cheese enchiladas for kids. And then I would go and sit by the, the lake read this book for like my 45 minutes of free time every day and then we would go and play music and then we'd go like fill up water balloons for seven hours and then we'd go play more music and then we would go you know it's that kind of a thing it, yeah. it sounds a lot like the beatles during making of Sergeant it's exactly Pepper. it's a very tour similar. of america yeah. right yeah, that's exactly right ups and downs is what you're saying it, you know it's funny Don. i think about i think about that book and but what am i i, I think i've read it three times in oh. in like a year or something but one of the reasons that i think the second time i read it is i went on a like a trip with uh weston this church i went to at the time to northern ireland I took that book and a couple other books and I have the weirdest memory of that, of the second time I read it because I got there and I had strep throat right before I left. And they had said, Hey, this is back when I was in, well, I'm still an idiot, but I was really an idiot then. And they were like, Hey, we can either give you a shot or give you pills. And even at 22 or whatever, I was like, let's just do the pills. I don't, I don't want, which is like, just take yeah. the effing shot. Yeah. So I, I kind of kick it right before we leave for the trip. We we fly over and I'm kind of on the mend and then we played soccer all day in like Irish weather so it's like yeah, cold 52 <laughs> cold yes and immediately it just flares back like to the point where I woke up the next morning we had a nurse she's like let me check and my throat was white like white like wow. the snow outside from basically the beginning of my throat down into my body and it hurt like the Dickens and so the whole trip I was stuck in the bed at this hostel. And I didn't have anything to do, so I just I read Blue Like Jazz again. And I remember, <laughs> this is such a weird memory, but I only had like, this is back when we had CDs, remember those guys? And I had a big CD, and it was just tons of Lionel Richie songs. <laughs> and so my my soundtrack no. to Blue Like Jazz is literally, all night long. And while I'm reading about you and your journey. But that book, I just remember, you know, I think I really read it three times. It was such a, I mean, I'm sure you have a million thoughts about it and you feel a million things about it, but it does feel like to me for our generation, it was such an interesting introduction to this idea of like kind of vulnerability, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the ability to ask questions in a faith that I think in that season of its, of 
you know, call it Christendom or whatever. It was just like that just wasn't really a thing. It just it didn't feel like a lot of people were doing that. And well, that that was a, what was really impactful. One of the things that was really impactful about that book for me was I was just I was reading somebody who was who had the freedom and very eloquently so yeah. to have these questions. And it yeah. kind of it kind of took the weight off of uh or the guilt of any questions that I did have. Yeah, that's right. Cuz especially saying. at that time in my life, 2021, 20, you're you're starting to kind of like take the ownership of yeah. a yeah. lot of things, but but namely faith into your own hands. And yeah. so you I just have all, all these questions and and the you know sort of uncomfortable with the questions that I do have and then I've read that book and I think it took it took a lot of the sort of shame and guilt away from that. Well, too, the the the, the vulnerability too is so profound. I think yeah. that was such a you know, somebody, I say this all the time on this podcast, but one of my favorite quotes ever is whenever we come together sharing our strengths, it breeds competition. But whenever we mm -hmm. come together sharing our weaknesses, it breeds community. Wow. And I think that was, I think that's a lot of the secret sauce of that book, in my opinion, is that you were so vulnerable and you led so much with that. I think it just felt like everybody was like, a, it just swarmed. Like people were like, mm -hmm. what is this energy in Christendom? Because it's not, I don't know a lot of this energy in mm -hmm. our faith. And I think you being so willing to be like, look, I don't know everything and I have problems with some things and this is frustrating to me or why do we do this? And it was suddenly, I just think like everybody was kind of like, Ooh, this is a new thing. <laughs> like, it's a very, it's a very comforting know. book to me. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, um, I think the, you know, I'd moved to Portland, Oregon and, uh, from Texas. So I grew up in a very Southern Baptist church. And if I would have stayed in Texas, I would have never written that book mm, and really yeah. what as i hear you guys talk i think that's portland that's portland that's portland mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's uh, a guy named rick mckinley who was a pastor who started yep. a church and he's still doing extremely well in um there in portland and uh and it was also you know uh ann lamont because mm. ann lamont had come from outside of the church yeah, that's and written right. a, a similar book from right. that perspective yep and because i was in portland and because there was no Southern Baptist Church right. around me to right. make me, you know, in order to fit in in these places, you have to sort of adopt a personality. Yeah. Right. And I'd been in Portland long enough to lose that. And then Anne Lamott gave me courage. So it was always very confusing to me when people said, boy, you're so vulnerable. And I'm literally, even when I hear you guys say it, I'm like, about what? <laughs> I don't know. Because you don't know anything, really. <laughs> but it, it's just, uh, at the time, yeah, it was, uh, I, I had no idea that book was going to do anything Hello, Dave. Wow. Okay, yours was yours was better than mine. Johnny, thanks. Are yep. you loving this warmer weather? Summer mm. is just around the corner. Dave, I am so glad that you brought that up because the weather has been so great. Mm. I'm playing tennis, yep. right? Mm -hmm. I'm sitting outside on the porch Gosh. in my tennis shoes, <laughs> going for walks yep. in my in different shoes. I don't, yeah, I don't I walk say, that's just shoes. too far. Yeah, I mean, it's so nice. And honestly, I don't really want to be spending too much time in the kitchen making meals because there's so many other John, things John, to John, 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 John. That's yeah. where Factor comes in. You can fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, so you can spend more time outside. Okay, it sounds good, but Dave, let me ask you a question. Okay. Can I meet my wellness goals in time for summer with Factor? <laughs> I hope you've got goals and then more goals, John, because we'd call you Cristiano Ronaldo. Soccer joke. Hey, yo. And guess what? And then some, John. 
it's going to be just fine. Factor has chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Dave, that sounds so awesome. You've talked me into it. I'm ready. Wow, that was easy. I'm ready to kickstart my routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from, Dave. Did you know that? I'm educating you now. (laughs) And these are restaurant-quality meals like filet mignon, right? Mm -hmm. Shrimp. Mm Mm-hmm. Blackened salmon. Enjoy you know? effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash dadville50 and use the code dadville50 to get 50% off. That's five zero. 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DADVILLE50 at factormeals.com slash DADVILLE50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Dave? John. Oh, wow. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Hey, listen. Yeah. Today's episode, it's going great. For it, one. I, I love it. Two, it's brought to you by Athletic Greens, the yeah. health and wellness yeah. company that makes the comprehensive daily nutrition really, really, really ridiculously simple. John, I don't know if you know this. I use Athletic Greens because it helps me stay healthy while on the go. I'm always yep. on the go. I'm moving, always. I'm shaking. Either when shuttling kids to and from school or when on the road going from city to city, it makes it so easy to get the daily nutrients and supplements I need every day, John. Dave, you know what I used to do? What? I, before Athletic Greens, I used to reach into the refrigerator. Yeah. This is no joke. Yeah. I would grab a handful of lettuce yeah. and shove it into my mouth. Why would you do it that, It tasted John? terrible, Awful. but I needed to get my greens. Now uh. I don't have to do that anymore. You know uh. why? Because just one scoop of yep. Athletic Greens AG1 formula what? contains 75. That's 75, no. Dave. High-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods sourced superfoods, oh. probiotics, and adaptogens mm. to help start your day right. You know what? It's the only way I start my morning, John, mm-hmm. by mixing one tasty scoop of the AG. That's what we call it in the Barnes House, right. Athletic Greens, into a glass of water and drinking that sucker down. You know, I personally love that Athletic Greens contains less than one gram of sugar. Yeah. No GMOs. Nope. And zero happen. nasty chemicals uh. or artificial anything. And it's so good. Muy delicioso. Not to mention, John, AG1 is an easy-to-do micro habit Mm -hmm. with huge benefits. It's one thing you can complete every single day to take great care of yourself and your health for Pete's sake. (laughs) Listen, guys, there is no time like the present to kickstart your healthy habits and reclaim your health. Especially as cold and flu season approaches. Buckle mm-hmm. up, folks. You need to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. That's right. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you Don't a free one-year supply. Free you were going to say One-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel oh, packs with your first purchase. gracious. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dadville. I was, I'm about to click over and do it, but I decided to be disciplined, okay? Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash dadville to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I mean, we t- we want to ask you about this later, too, because you kind of talk about this in the new book also, but what was it like watching that do what it did? Because it was kind of a slow burn, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't like yeah. all sudden overnight. It was like, yeah. I feel like years of it kind of like, just yeah, kept gathering so. steam. Um, there was a guy, it was a fun, one of the most fun moments of my young life. Um, there was a guy named Al Andrews who's been on a guest, mm-hmm. he's been a guest on your show. One of our mm-hmm. dear friends, yep. And 
I didn't have any money. Blue Book Jazz had sold 21,000 copies its first year. So that mm. that's not even paying back your advance. So I didn't have any money. And this guy calls and says, would you be willing to come to Nashville to speak at an artist's retreat? And I said, D- will there be food? <laughs> <laughs> Always the first question. <laughs> Great first question. I don't want to play hardball, but will there be food? <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. Can this I guy's eat it? serious. Can I eat it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big eater. I want you to know. And, I, of course, I said yes. And then he calls back, like, I don't know, a week before I'm going. And, he, you know, we're you guys know Al. He just mm-hmm. wants to make sure that I feel really comfortable. He said, listen, I'm, I, I want to do a book reading. Like, after the retreat, can we do a book reading? And I said, Sure. Um, I would love that. And uh, he's a great, you know, I'll let you know. So I get down to Nashville, and I find out, you know, it was a great artist retreat. Like, Derek Webb was there, and I think the Jars guys were there, and Matthew Perryman Jones, I think, was there. And it was really kind of cool. We'd, we're done, and we go back to Al's house. The book reading is going to be that night. And he says, hey, you know, um, I said, where's the book? What bookstore is it at? He said, well, actually, I rented a theater. And I literally thought, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd said, Al, you don't. How much did it cost you to rent a theater? This is like 500 bucks. I said, Al, there's not going to be anybody at that theater. I've done book readings. They're like, unless people think I'm Rob Bell, nobody really shows up. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he said, I think you'll be surprised. And I said, I was just feeling so much like, I feel so sorry for you. $500 is so much money. On the way to the thing, he pulls his van over. And he says, you, you need, he basically says, you need to stop. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you are going to have a voice. Wow. And it's going to be a po- mm. I'm getting choked up. I mean, he, mm. and I'm just sitting there going, dude, you're a fool. You're such a fool. You're such a, you're such a silly man. We get to the Belcourt Theater. The theater is full. And there's a line around the block of people who can't get in, but they won't leave. Wow. And I just go, what is this? And this is before Amazon rankings. Royalty statements are six, eight months before you realize anything mm. has happened. And the, and um, one of the great, great nights of my life. And mm. Al, I, I, I mean, Betsy and I do double dates with Al and Nita. You know, we just went to dinner the other night. And um, now that we live in Nashville. And um, that was a neat thing. And it, mm. and it really did feel very much like that old Sting song, you know, Message in a Bottle, where you throw something out. Yeah. And for a year and a half, you know, nothing. Yeah. I mean, nothing. And then you go to this little town in the south, I mean, you know, Nashville, and you just realize, oh, there's there are actually people out in the world who feel this way. Yeah. And uh, and that was the beginning of uh, of that. You know, the book kind of taking off and doing and being a moderate success. And um, and so that was really. I don't know. It was just edifying. You know, you go back to Portland, and there are no Christians there. There, there's nobody reading my book. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a wonderful, wonderful actual way to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. almost like you know, you guys know Mark Sibelia. Like Mark Sibelia is actually kind of big in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he's yeah. just our oh, buddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like, but anytime he wants to, you know, have his uh, ego. You know, <laughs> Phil, you just go to Germany real quick yeah, yeah. and come back, yeah, yeah. and he's got an arena full of people. Yes, yeah. right, right, and, right. Um, and I hope he takes off here because he's wonderful. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so that w- it was it was a wonderful way to live, just to be able to leave it and go to Portland, and and it was like that the whole twenty years I was there. No, nothing really ever took off there. That's so funny. It was like you Isn't lived it? in one of the few places you, it was sort of incubated. 
Like you yeah. just were able yeah. to live a life and think and, then, and feel and not not have any social pressure to do any you know say anything right. or be anywhere. Right. Because I could imagine with that book, especially that would have probably gotten pretty weird if you'd lived anywhere, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. There'd have probably been some really interesting stigmas attached or asked of you. You know, to sort of be like, yeah. you are the new voice of the Christian kid. <laughs> Speak for us, great Don. Yeah. You know, that, which is. That, yeah. I'm glad that that, I probably would have been, I probably would have given into that. <laughs> oh my God. Who would? Right. I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Like. <laughs> but in Portland, <laughs> you just realize there's this whole other world and that, that world is actually a small culture hmm. and they yeah. think it's the world. Yeah. yeah I right. still feel yeah. that way about right. evangelicalism. It's like, yeah, they yeah. think this is the whole world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and um, it's yeah. not. There's it's very, this, all this it's very American too, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. true. So I, I do want to ask you. This will be the last thing, you know, with blue like jazz in particular. I because this question comes out of my own personal. I don't. I'm trying to avoid saying the word journey, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> say yearny. It's German. Yearn, sorry, Sibelia will love that. <laughs> Shout out to Mark. Um, with my first record, and I think this is a this is a a classic, you know, kind of model, classic story. Um, and it's a good problem to have because you, you, you know, you do your first thing and it becomes a success or, or whatever you, any success that you have, um, which mine is this first record that I put out Indiana. That's, that's by Mm -hmm. far my, my most successful record. And I had this really complex kind of relationship with that record for years, you know, um, and you know, I would, you know, a couple years after it w- was out, people would come up to me and say, oh, this one particular song, I, I really meant a lot to me. And, and before they would mention the name of the song, I would say, please don't, don't be on that record. Please say my last, yeah. my I'm, most recent I'm song, bigger please. than that, or I'm other than that. Right. But then they, it would always be like, oh, beautiful disaster was a huge song for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Now I I have kind of gone through this evolution. I did a 10-year reunion tour of that uh, a couple years ago where I I played the full record and some of the songs I had never played. I had like taken a stand. Like I'm not going to play Just Give It Time on stage. I will not do it. And anyone who says that song was meaningful, it would bum me out for the day. And my, you know, I've, I've completely you know, evolved on, on that record and, and I have a different relationship with it now. I'm always curious with anyone who kind of has a, a, you know, a book or a record or whatever, a TV show that was really successful. And you have such a, a long life after that. And you have so many things that you're doing as a creator, as a writer. Um, I'm curious what your relationship is with that book in particular and just any early success that you've Super had. Super similar to your relationship with Indiana. I mean, as you were talking, I really, really identified with that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I don't know if you feel this way, John, but I feel like, I feel a little embarrassed that I didn't always have a really grateful and yeah. connecting attitude about yeah. the success of Blue Like Jazz. Because I didn't, I, I, you know, I did for a while and it fed my ego and, you know, and, uh, you know, and I grew up in an environment where I just wasn't, you know, I was the fat kid. I was bullied. My dad left. You know, there was, I had, I was, I had a wound, a big giant wound. Mm, and yeah. um, instead of letting the attention that I got from Blue Like Jazz heal that and be like, okay, I matter now. Now let me give back to the world. Yeah. I wish that would have been my attitude. And instead mm. my attitude was, 
I'm such a victim because you keep wanting to know questions about this book, and I've already written two other mm. books. <laughs> was kind yeah, of my yeah. And it, yeah. we, I don't think I realized I was actually just trying to suck more energy into myself instead of turn around and give back what's been given to me. So mm. that was probably five years of that. And then really no book has done as well as that book. Um, the business books are doing really well, and they will pass Blue Like Jazz soon, um, which is cool pivot in a career. But now I just – and for the past – probably 10 years, that book's almost 20 years old, for the past 10 years, I've just felt so much gratitude. I mean, just mm. thank you, because without that, I wouldn't have been able to write these business books, and mm. I wouldn't have, you know, publishers wouldn't have been seeking me for a contract, and I wouldn't have been mm -hmm. able, I wouldn't have met this person who right. introduced me to these people and allowed me to do that, and it is just nothing and nothing, nothing but gratitude. And even now, it's the perfect level of being known for me personally, because I'll go to Whole Foods or something, and once every two weeks, maybe, somebody will say, "Oh, hey, I really love, I really love your book. I started at Blue Lake Jazz, and I love your business stuff too. You're really helping me, and it just means the world to me. It is, yeah. you know, it just means the world to me. And so, mm -hmm. I do wish I had that sort of mature and grateful perspective. Rewind, but you know, you, you right. don't, and you yeah. figure that out. But yeah, it was a choppy relationship for a minute." Yeah, <laughs> quote, quote. we weren't talking one of the things i'm always so fascinated with with anybody that does like a pivot and you just said that word yourself in a career i i love that i love that i always have such a respect for people who kind of go i've done this now i'm going to do this you know because it i think one it infers a lot of things like bravery also fear and maybe uh you know, not liking what you're doing or loving it and just want to do something else. But when you think of your career, do you think of it as a pivot or you think it stays on the same line? Like, do you, was there a moment when you went, okay, I'm going to like move 90 degrees this way? Or was it like, no, this is, I kind of see of it all on the same trajectory as a writer. It's just different yeah. things. Like, how do you think about it? I don't think there's any way to see it from the outside perspective as anything other than a pivot. And so to try to say, well, it wasn't mm -hmm. a pivot. It's just going to come off as, <laughs> as disingenuous. Yeah. Um, I had written, I think, six or seven books, and they were all sort of memoir-esque. Not real memoirs. None of them were real memoirs. They were, right. they were my personal perspective on a topic yeah. or a series of topics. And so I would tell a lot of personal stories. So they read like memoirs. In order to write some of those, I had studied story. I did a little workshop on how to tell a good story. And a fan of Blue Like Jazz worked for this giant company with 300,000 employees called Accenture. And it's a consulting firm. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about taking story and and turning it into a project management system? Jeez. <laughs> I was just like, no. I have not <laughs> thought I don't know that. what that means. And, and he just said. You lost me at project yeah, management. Yeah, he said, if you did that, I would be interested. Now, now, remember, I've written seven books, and I've got nothing else to say, guys. There's nothing right. else. Yeah, right, right, right. I haven't gotten married. I don't have a kid. I, don't, I just don't, you know, I don't, nothing else has really happened. And so I said, well, let me take a year and just play with this. And and uh, got some a friend helped me play with it. And we turned it in. And, you know, it was okay. You know, it, Accenture, you know, appreciated it. And then later I thought, actually, you know, story means a lot more. And you can use it a lot more if you're trying to clarify a message. For instance, like a marketing message. And so... I turned that project management framework into a, a framework that you would use to clarify a message and talked a little bit about it in some breakout sessions at Storyline conferences and blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I did that, Ford Lincoln called. Wow. And said, wow. we 
are trying to save Lincoln, uh, the brand. And can you just give us a perspective on this? And so I wrote out this treatise, and, I, and it really was I, – I, I can show you the document. The document said you need to find a spokesperson who is the personification of Viagra, and you need to position Lincoln as a solution to erectile dysfunction. Wow. And, of course, never say any of that. But that's what right. you need to do. Right. Wow. Now, yeah. they, we didn't talk after that, and I stake no claim or credit because other people are very, very smart and smarter than me, but it's exactly what they did. Wow. And, and I, I literally don't think I influenced it. I think maybe some, that might have got mentioned in some conversations or whatever, but whatever. You know, it was never an, an agreement. And it's, it, put, it saved Lincoln. I mean, you got Matthew McConaughey, who's the personification of Viagra, right. Right. helping 57-year-old <laughs> men feel more virile if they drive around in right. a giant soccer mom car. That's basically <laughs> what that is. <laughs> and that's the end of my tech dog. Thank you, and guys. It, I'm done. Yeah, and it worked. And then um, the next call was Proctor, or, or it, was, uh, it was out of Cincinnati. It um, wasn't Proctor and Gamble. It was, uh, uh, you know, the big company that makes all sorts of soap and stuff. And so they, they brought us in and did some keynotes there. And, I, and all of a sudden I just went, this, first of all, this is really fun. Because I'm not having yeah. to get up here and say, hi, my name is Donald Miller. Let me tell you how it feels to be fat and a Christian. It was like, I was just so tired of doing that that oh it felt it started God. feeling like a shtick. And uh <laughs> and then it also, you know, that has a particularly small market. So I, uh. I was like, this is fun. And I wrote um I wrote a book about it called Building a Story Brand, and I think the world would have seen that as a pivot, but really the connecting dot was I had studied and obsessed about story to yeah. write books and to write a screenplay, and then this pivot to project management, which went nowhere, and then a pivot to marketing, which took off. Hmm. So all of a so sudden, interesting. Yeah. there's this huge dis demand for, hey, you know, I've got a business. How should I talk about my business so that people pay attention? Because really when you're writing books, the the, the shtick is you got to get somebody to turn the page. Right. Yeah. And you you will get hooked on any sort of advice or strategy you can do to keep the interest the the, the reader interested. And then I you know so to be able to pivot that and say well how would you do that with a business to get people interested in your business? I had no idea that that would take off. I really mm. didn't. I just didn't have it in me to write another memoir, and yeah. this was something to yeah. do, and they were going to pay me 25 grand, and that would get me right. through right. Know, the first quarter or whatever. And so all of a sudden, I have this marketing clarification company, that, and then that the book, I think, told, sold 600,000 copies and is still Jeez selling 150,000 a year. And so that's the, you know, that stuff is happening. Well, in order to do that and fulfill all the demand, I had to hire people, and soon I have you know, close to 30 people on staff. We've got millions in contracts that are happening. All of a sudden, I'm running a business. Yeah. And then I realized, and I didn't know how to run a business, but then I realized, well, if you just do this, you can do a managed execution system. And if you just do this, you can read your P&L really well. And if you just do this, and pretty much discovered that I could actually explain every part of a small business really well. Hmm. And, um, and that turned into books like Business Made Simple, Marketing Made Simple, uh, how to Grow Your Small Business will come out at the end of this year. The Customer is the Hero is our sales framework, which we expect to do extremely well. Um, business on a Mission will be a book I'll write in the future. And I've I've absolutely fallen in love with it because I still get to be creative and guide people through experiences. I get to help them get to where to do what I've gotten to do. 
And I, you know, we're about to meet with a major university to pitch the Business Made Simple School for Entrepreneurs at such and such university, Jeez. which we will position as the college that you go to if you're thinking about skipping college. And <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's my great. dream is oh, to just great. to be able to teach entre- entrepreneurialism in business. And I know that's, that seems like a step back or something from the old stuff, but to me it feels like a linear line. Um, it has been incredibly healthy for me uh, to just run a business. And I really like business fame, if you will, because it's a very small fame in a small market. And you don't have to talk about that time when you cried yourself to sleep because you ate three gallons of ice cream. <laughs> now, people always want to hear that story. Welcome to First Baptist uh, Knoxville, guys. My name is Don. Hi. The, the, um... the devil is ice cream. We all know that, right? And we dance with the devil, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I, I think one of the things I love about that, and I think it's so cool about your story, is that I think that it it you just clarified this so well is it's not a pivot as much as there's a really interesting it's chasing line. curiosity yes and I think too you know that that's one of the things I think a lot a lot about with this podcast especially to dads and and moms who are listening is you know trying to change the narrative around work like you know this is what I do and this so that means this is what I'll always do and I think yeah. it's always fun. You know, Andrew Osinga had that uh, podcast, I think he still does it, called The Pivot. And I love listening to it, and I know there's other podcasts about that. Andrew did such a good job with it, but, because it was just so interesting to hear somebody go, you know, I'd done this, and then I did something else. And, and you know, because I think it's encouraging, because it's hard for me to think of people doing something for 40 years. You know what I mean? That's just like, Well, there like, are just not very many people. There are not very many writers, you know, especially in sort of the Christian world, who yeah. can maintain a level that of success. Kind of, yeah. And I think it's a lot of things, I, and I, but one of the things is they don't have anything else to say. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's just be honest. You got nothing yeah. else to say. We, I mean, John and I were laughing literally as as we were about to go uh, start this podcast just about how I think one of the hardest things about being a songwriter in your late 30s, early 40s uh, is is exactly that. It's just like, you, it's like how many times can you write that song? You know what I mean? Like yeah. how many times can you say that, you know, this is what love is to me or I'm feeling like this when you know, you've kind of, you've been to that well so many times. And so it is interesting. And I think that's some of why I'm I'm so uh, fascinated by pivots or just sort of like these additions to a career, because I think ours has a really interesting arc. It's a, it's a tricky thing. I wonder how much of that is just in our heads. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. Like uh, you would say, well, this sounds just like white flag or this sounds right, 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 right doesn't yeah. <laughs> feel that and so you don't end up writing the song or finishing it because yeah you like, don't ah, want to hear it i, I wonder how much of that is just well and what yeah. we were saying one of the biggest hurdles as you get further and further into a career at least for for us we were saying is i, I just get i just get so in the in when i was 19 i'm like when i sing this note oh, i love the way it sounds it's, it <laughs> feels good to sing it yeah now, like in my 30s, I'm like, I've sang that note nine billion times. <laughs> the law of I know what returns. it sounds like. That's exactly yeah. right. And I wish it sounded different, yeah. you know? But I think what's interesting about what you were saying about sort of this pivot that you've made, the way you explain it is you just go like a level deeper and it's not about the the lyrics necessarily, the melodies necessarily. It's about these like undercurrents, like these 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 themes that you can lay over a song, you can lay over right. business, you can lay over... Like you had this quote in, in the book that said, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but it said, 
like this is true in story because it's true in life. Right. Yeah. And those kind of you you basically just took kind of what you were doing this the the art of writing down your life experience and you just sort of looked at at the basics the basic building blocks of what makes a story good and what makes life interesting and yeah. what motivates people and and how people find meaning you know so i i it's interesting how you laid that out because i i totally see the connection now you know yeah it's all it's all just an obsession with story and um you know first the first obsession you, you know was a tool that i used to keep people turning the page then it was a tool I used to help companies invite customers into a story, and then it was a tool I used to help you analyze your own life and live a better story. And, um, but it's all actually the same obsession. John? Yeah? John, there. God, sorry. I thought Who? that was you. No. Is this Dave? Yes. It, sorry, I should okay. Say, okay, it's Dave. Barnes. Yes. Right. Um, okay. Quick question for you. Did you know yeah. this? Today's episode in my morning cup of joe is brought to you by Methodical Methodical Coffee. Coffee. I was going to no, say No, you didn't know it. You do know it. Okay, now I know that. And okay. did you know that okay. Methodical roasts their coffee to best, best express the, the life it lived? Yes. The place, yep. the weather, the soil, so, yep. and to honor the skilled people who cultivated it. Like the belly warmer roast, John. It is mm. a Barnes family staple. It's a delicious blend reminiscent of the tried and true cup of coffee that your local greasy spoon serves up. And did you know that the Costa Rican and Brazilian coffees that make up the belly warmer? Those, those aren't the only yeah. coffees that Methodical has to offer. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 John. Methodical offers a wide variety of yeah. flavor profiles that range from classics Classic. that are bold and chocolatey, yeah. uh, contemporary, contemporary that are medium-bodied and fruity, fruity. Yeah. yeah, and all the way to avant-garde that push. What they do they push? push the convention. They don't care. You know what I mean? They're they crazy. They don't care. That's probably why Gear Patrol voted Methodical one of the best roasters in America, That's Dave. all of America. Listen, Methodical Coffee Subscription Services and Unique Roasts make the perfect gift for the coffee lover in your life. Everybody's got one of these in their life, John. What is it? Coffee lovers. And that it's for them. Yep. So visit www, that's World Wide Web, yep. dot methodicalcoffee.com for more information and use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. Get your coffee. So let's talk about Hero on a Mission. Would you would yeah. you sort of lay out to so you, you you have the four characters in this book, which is really yeah. interesting. Would you give kind of like a flyover on each of those what yeah. they are? Yeah. So one thing that I noticed <clears throat> as I studied story, and it's probably the only thing in the book that I can actually say that that content is original. You know, the rest I give credit to right, right. Uh, Victor Frankel and Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell and some of the other people who are a lot smarter than me, but. What I noticed when I was watching movies and reading stories was there, there were always these four major characters. There was the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. And they all had, they all had their parts. And stories, by the way, are extremely formulaic. There's really only seven of them that get told. And um, these are f the four major parts. And so then the next question is why? Why do these four characters keep getting used and why? And the first thought I had was, well, it's because some people are victims, some people are villains, some people are heroes, some people are guides. And that's where these characters are coming from. And then I realized that that's, that is actually the way it is in stories. But if you really look in life, the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide is in all of us. Mm -hmm. we, we are, and every day we'll play the victim, the villain, the hero, and the yeah, guide. Yeah, right, and right. So the victim is the one who feels like they are doomed and they, they believe they have no way out and they're looking for a rescuer. And we will do that. 
you know, we we will we will. It's self pity. When you go into self pity, that you're you're playing the victim in you is surfacing, and you're shining a light on that character which is in you. The villain is the character that makes others small, hmm. and our tendency to gossip, our tendency to dismiss people uh, because you know whatever they don't understand. Certainly. Uh, racism, sexism, mm. uh, all of that is villain tendencies. And it's it's basically I need this person to be small so that I can feel big. Yeah. And um and then there's the hero, and the hero is not unlike the victim, the hero is ill equipped, afraid, doesn't have what it takes. But the only difference with the hero is they actually say I'm willing to beat my head against this wall until I become strong enough to break it. Hmm. And so they, they enter into, they accept the challenge, and they enter into uh, a heroic identity for the most part that allows them to transform over the years and become a better version of themselves. They learn hmm. from their mistakes and so on and so on. If yeah. a hero does that for long enough, they learn how to break through the wall, and they turn around. Sometimes they will turn around and help other people do it too, and that's the transition to hmm. guide. Hmm. And I thought so, it was really interesting how you, what you said about heroes in your book like when you, when I hear the word hero, I immediately have this sort of like you know the rock muscular yeah like my my mind immediately goes there. You said something in the book about how like the hero is really like the second most weak character yeah, in the story in, in the story, and it, if it is just the rock just crushing it the whole time, yeah. there's nothing interesting about that, right? Which gets to another thing about pain. I want to ask uh, here in a little bit, but. That that was so interesting to me. Like the, I I hope that I can reframe my knee jerk reaction to that word hero because it's really misguided. Well, you know? yeah, what we're imagining when we think of the word hero is actually the last nine minutes of the film, right? Because they are strong right. and capable and transformed. Yeah. So we'll well, heroes are strong. We'll go back and watch the freaking movie again. <laughs> Did you watch? Yeah. The movie? If you pause a film, even a even a film with the Rock in it, if you pause it halfway through. I guarantee you, he is not glad he is in yeah. the situation he is in, <laughs> and he does not feel confident he's going to make it out. Yeah. But he keeps going. Keeps and going, so that's yeah. that's the lesson to learn from the hero. The, the real lesson in all of that is if you let the victim in you have too much spotlight, what will happen in you is what happens to a victim in a movie, which is nothing. Hmm. They don't transform. They don't grow. Yep. They don't get a reward. In a movie, the victim is a bit part that makes the hero look good and the villain look bad. That's the only reason they're in the film, is they need they need a, a bit part to make the villain look bad. Wow. And the hero and to give the hero a sense of urgency and meaning in their rescuing of the victim. So you you really never want to see yourself as a victim. Now here's what every person listening is gonna do. They're gonna start shaming themselves. Because they've lost 10 years for being a victim. Well, what right. what character is shaming yourself? Mm. It's the villain in you. Mm. Mm. So now the villain has stepped up and said, you're a piece of you, right. you, you, right. you, you know, you've never been straight. Your dad was right about you. That character's in you, too. Well, what happens to that character? That character goes to prison or is killed. And so when we <laughs> when we act too much like the villain and we start demeaning people, I'm watching somebody I know destroy their career right now because they are channeling enormous amounts of villain energy. They will not listen to their team. They're always right. And uh, they're, they're heading down. 
Because what happens is the energy amongst your friends and coworkers and all that will start to turn against you because they're seeking justice. Yeah. And you don't even realize it. You're just feeding your ego. Both the victim and the villain mentality are coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what we need to do is under, we just need to be self-aware. We just need to be able to say, well, you're doing that thing where you act like a victim and, no, and keep all judgment out of it. Yeah. And yeah. you will slowly stop doing it as long as you have self-awareness. And then the hero just says, well, life is very hard, but it's a fact. And I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to try to put something on it. And I'm going to try not to demean people. And I'm, I'm going to try not to feel like we're doomed. And if, it, if this thing fails, there's something I can learn. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep moving forward. If you keep doing that, you will transform into a better version of yourself. What you will find, I remember interviewing Pete Carroll, who's the head coach of the Seattle mm-hmm. Seahawks, and I, he gave me 15 minutes at his office in Seattle, and I and we spent at least two hours together, maybe longer. Wow. And I said, what was the big, you know, why coach? And he said, Donna had the had the privilege of succeeding very early in life. And, I, and I'm so glad I had that early in life because it taught me it was meaningless. Wow. Mm-hmm. And mm. I didn't find meaning <clears throat> until I started helping other people. Mm. Yeah. And I've never lost that sense of meaning. If I could just help somebody else win, I'm happy. Mm. And I get a lot along the way. I get trophies. I get all this stuff. But my meaning is what he was, what he was referring to is the transition from hero to guide. And for him, it mm. happened early. So th- I think the life journey for all of us is to identify as the hero and become the guide and, yeah. uh, and live a story that, uh, that inspires other people. But if you let victim mentality get you and you let, or you let villain mentality get you, your story will not end well. Yeah. <laughs> you go to jail or die. You go to, yeah, <laughs> or you die, die or go to jail or you don't transform. And But it's so tempting because playing the victim, you can suck all sorts of resources in your, into your life. Other people can feel sorry for you. And, you know, the reason that I was close to 400 pounds is because subconsciously I really believed if I keep digging myself into this hole, somebody will make it stop. Hmm. Yeah. And when I, I literally, I remember looking in a mirror in Portland, Oregon, I had just shaved my head because I didn't have any money for um, a haircut, and I was 350 pounds or whatever, and there, there was you know one or two girls that I had a crush on that wouldn't give me the time of day, and it was just this amazing realization as I looked in the mirror that chicks do not dig victims. Wow. And that was one of the most life-changing, and at that point I went, oh, I need to get in shape. But what, what's amazing about that is it was actually me trying to get what I wanted by thinking of myself as a victim. And when yeah. I realized that won't work, it immediately stopped. Yeah. yeah. So That's in other words, I was never a victim. Yeah, and right. I, literally, now I look at that, that back that now and I just say, why didn't God rescue me? Because I didn't need to be rescued. That's why. Hmm. Yeah. I needed to grow up. Huh. I needed to transform. <laughs> and he's That's just really sitting there profound. going, yeah. hey, man, I hear you. <laughs> I feel for you. <laughs> But until you realize yeah, you actually yeah, yeah. do yeah. have what it takes, you're going to yeah. sit there, and I will yeah. li- I will literally let your whole life do this. We'll talk about it in heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when I was reading through your book, I I wrote a little note down. Uh, I just said like pain feels like that's a character in this book that I'm reading, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really interesting how you were kind of framing pain. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us listening right now would kind of like our knee-jerk reaction like i was saying the knee-jerk sort of like frame that you put hero in is is misguided maybe our knee-jerk reaction to just the idea of pain is something that we all day-to-day try to avoid right but it seems like it's a, 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 a important character in the whole story like can you yeah. talk about 
sort of the role of pain because it seems like it's almost like this central thing that like the hero and the villain both bounce off they go in different directions and that almost defines right. who they are but it's all central to pain almost yeah both the hero and the uh and the villain have backstories of pain so you'll usually see the backstory of pain for the hero they'll, they'll yeah. almost always well more than 50 percent of the time the hero is actually some sort of orphan I mean, think yeah. about your favorite movies. There's right. some, Harry Potter. There's some Luke Skywalker. You know, he's not with his father. He's with his uncle. Mm -hmm. That's intentional. And it basically says this person is coming out of pain. It's intentional for a couple reasons, but one of them is you, what you really want to see in a movie is an incredible transformation. So we got to start dark, and we're going to move to light. The villain, they normally don't show the backstory of the villain, but they want you to know that the villain also came from pain. So they'll give them a scar. They'll give them a lisp. They'll give them a... a, a, a a limp, they'll give them yeah. something that says this person has come out of some form of trauma. So the difference between the victim and the and or the villain and the hero is that the villain is has been hurt by the world and wakes up every day and says, I'm gonna get you back. Mm. And mm -hmm. the hero has been hurt by the world and wakes up every day and says, I'm gonna fight so that nobody has to experience that. Mm -hmm. It's the only mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so pain is huge. And then without pain, of course, the hero does not transform into a stronger version of themselves. So, and, and that's because in life, the only way we actually grow is through difficult situations and difficult things. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really what we have to embrace about pain is that while it's unfortunate and while I don't wish it on anybody, there is actually an upside. Right. And when you can and when you can sort of hold pain in your hand and say, I, you know, two weeks ago, I've, I've the last 10 years have been wonderful and we, I really have not experienced much incredible pain. My mother did pass away and that was very difficult. But two weeks ago, I, we had to let go of my chocolate lab, Lucy. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is a this is a safe story to tell in the sense that uh, everybody knows it's a painful thing, but it's a weird thing. And, you know, you feel like you're losing a kid, but it's not a kid, and mm -hmm. you get over it much more quickly. You know, and so as as I, I was very courageous in the way I did it, I, I hired the vet, the vet came to the house. You know, I was just very cerebral because I knew she had to be let go. The tumor was just too big. She was limping. She was in a lot of pain. She, she was at, Labs lived between 10 and 12. She was 14. Mm -hmm. So we just did this out on the porch and let her go, and, and I was actually impressed. I just thought, you know, you're... This is going to be easier than you thought, you know. And then I picked up the stretcher. We put it in the back of the, the van for the vet to take her off and gave her a kiss on the cheek and lost it. Mm -hmm. And for 48 hours felt claustrophobic inside of um, – I. You know, here I'm about to release a book on how you can live a life of meaning, and I'm literally going, <laughs> there's no meaning. It's a lie. <laughs> It's a lot. We have to lose Stop our dogs presses. for crying out loud. You chuck your laptop in the lake. You're like, I'm a liar. I was literally like, I could give a rat <laughs> about that book. Uh, um, and, you know, but then you do this thing that Viktor Frankl taught us to do, and he's the king of how to find meaning, and it was basically you've got to redeem your suffering. You've got to, you've got to find some way that this benefits you. And so I began just calculating a list. I began to say, Don... Lucy has taught you that you're going to die, and you grip very hard to control over this life. Yeah. And it will be taken away. Mm. Therefore, 
Lucy has taught you that you can be more generous hmm. and that you should be more present and so forth and so on. And that began to make the pain more bearable. And then, and then literally today, while I, while I certainly miss my dog, I smile when I think about her because I think, what, what a bunch of joyful memories we had. And she really, right. she got me to Betsy. Hmm. You know, hmm. she was a companion that made me responsible and show up on a certain time. I remember when Katy Perry was touring with uh, I Kissed a Girl um, when, back in the early, early days. You guys know Ricky and Ran and Daylights. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. her band. And they called me and they said, Don, um, Katy Perry wants to meet you. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I have a puppy. And they said, well, she wants to be, just come down. So I watched them open, and then they came out and said, hey, she's just running a little late, and um, but she still wants you to come back. And, and um, I said, I, I got to go. <laughs> I got a dog. <laughs> it has to be. I didn't know Katy Perry was going to become Katy Perry. And right. um, and so I used to always tell Lucy, you know, I I chose you over Katy Perry. Katy Perry. <laughs> and, um, Never forget that. And anyway, uh that sort of I was not that guy before I got that yeah. dog. There's nothing I would yeah. have done to not, you know, see a be in a room with a pretty girl who is famous. Yeah. There's and so had to become that person, which set me up to be a healthy enough person to marry Betsy, which set me up to be a healthy enough person to have a kid. And mm-hmm. you know, what a gift this dog was. And I'm not gonna be a bitter victim and say, Well, if life doesn't happen on my terms and we get to live forever and we get to keep our dogs I don't want any of it. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, you, you make this positive side. I'll wrap up my point by saying this. The guy who actually came up with this idea, his name is Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and he basically said the way you experience meaning in life is you have a project that you're working on. You share that project with those around you so that you can get out of yourself for a second. Mm. And you redeem your suffering. You find some sort of positive attribute to any negative thing that you're experiencing. If you do that you will experience a very deep sense of meaning. And mm. for 10 years, I've done that, and I've not had a single day where life wasn't meaningful. There was definitely days where life is very sad or very hard to yeah. figure out, but not a day when I wasn't interested in my own story. Yeah, His best book, I think, is a short book that everybody should get. It's called Yes to Life. Mm. It was released in last year, and he died in 1996, so it came out posthumously. It is a defense of the idea, it's, it's his speeches that he used to give. It's a defense of the idea that life is, in fact, beautiful and meaningful. And then you you realize about three-fourths through the book that these are speeches that he is giving three months after leaving the concentration camps where he lost Jeez, his wife and his mother mm-hmm. and his father and his baby. Okay. And I just said to myself, if he can enjoy life, right. so c- we have no excuses. Yeah. yeah. It takes courage, but we can yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, something, and, and you mentioned your family now, and watch me as I transition. Watch this, Don. Um, this is what <laughs> pro podcasters do. Um, what, one of the things <laughs> I remember calling you, this is still one of my favorite <laughs> conversations to date. So, I, I want to talk just quickly about mentoring and sort of, you know, then uh, being a dad, which is sort of the same and a little different, obviously. But yeah. I remember being in the car with Brad, uh, my little brother. This is a while ago. And, uh, and I, and I was in a season of life where I couldn't figure out, I, I was starting to transition more into a mentor role in a lot of friends' lives and just kind of being a big brother and which I have always loved to do. And, and I think especially in the music world, like I have such a huge passion for sitting with young musicians and kind of trying to onboard them to Nashville and how can I help in those things. But I was just, there was all this friction because I couldn't figure out why I, 
I still struggled with that. Like why well, I'd have these conversations and felt like that was great. And then, but am I competing with that person or how, mm. oh, how, yeah. you know, we how to navigate about this? So, yeah. so I'm talking to Brad in the car and Brad says, dude, I just was at Donald's uh, story brand and he talks exactly about this. And I was like, tell me. And he's like, well, here's the thing. Like the mentor has to be the static character because the hero's the volatile one. And, and what makes a story make sense is that Yoda is Yoda is that Gandalf is Gandalf. Like Bilbo bops around and, and Luke Skywalker. But the minute that Yoda sits down with Luke and goes like, can I just shoot straight with you? <sighs> it's been a weird day, man. Like my powers were weird this morning. Luke, Luke would be like, uh. Yeah, because his confidence know. is based so On, much yeah, in right, his right, guide. Right. Yeah. And so I remember like getting to Nashville and being like, I, this is exactly, this is framing so much of my struggle in my life right now. Because I could, I felt that very real. Like, I'd, I'd sit with these younger guys and girls and bands and, but then I'd leave because I'd, I'd, I'd have moments where I'd be like, yeah, it's funny. You feel that way. Cause I feel that way. And you'd feel the conversation just tank. Cause they were like, Ugh, yeah, we don't know how to deal with your I'm, struggles. Yeah. yeah. That's not why we're sitting here. And so I remember calling, it's one of the funniest conversations I had in a long time. I remember calling you and asking about it. And you literally were like, I don't think I said that. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And it was just like this hysterical, like three minute conversation. Where you're like, yeah, maybe I'm he's sorry, quoting Dave. something else. But no, but what makes it so fun now is with the book, you know, reading about it again and going like, okay, here are these these this idea, here it is again. And, and I think, uh, you know, I had a really interesting conversation. John was over last night. We had a fun little hang with our street here. And we were kind of talking about this idea because we were talking about this podcast and talking to you today. But just this idea of like, you know, what it looks like to transition into that season of life. Cause you know, all of us are in our forties and sort of starting to get older and we, we look I'm around my, and see I'm these. I'm in my thirties. So I just want to say. <laughs> That's why John, he just left the room. He left the yeah. room. Um, but you know, this idea that like, as all of us, and I think as parents, as we're getting older and, and, you know, hopefully in health, and this is where the conversation really kind of landed is you hope. And it's, it's that same thing with the five, um, is it Stephen Covey, like the five, whatever, you know, you kind of want to transition these healthy parts of yes. as you get older. And, um, and, the, and the idea was like, you know, the healthiest you can be is really to get yourself to a guide point where it's benevolence. It's about other people. It's about helping. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the song of Solomon shot called, you know, thousands of years ago. Like, you know, what, what's really going to make us happy is, is giving what we have. It's not seeing ourselves be realized, but helping others do that really. Yeah. And so I think like, can you kind of speak to that as especially to the podcast listeners who are in that season of life, be it with kids or be it with, you know, you're realizing at work that like, man, I'm kind of the, I'm getting to be the guy on the top of the totem pole or I'm kind of, I'm running my own business. I'm cause I think that transition for me has been really tricky because I think if you don't know it's happening, you can sort of realize like I have this voice in people's lives, but why, when I talk about this, does it seem to not connect? Like right. when I start sharing my struggles, all of a sudden the room sort of doesn't know what to do or because I think there's a discipline to being a mentor, to being a guide yeah. that's really unique because it's not the place to sort of sit and go, okay, I don't, oh, that's a good question. You have a great, can I tell you some of my questions? You know, you just <laughs> sort of the, the room just sort of like, you know, it'd be like you go to a master class with Quincy Jones and then he's going like, how are you guys getting loops pulled up on Pro Tools? And you just be like, uh, can you just please talk about Thriller for another 30 minutes? Like, you yeah. know, th there's, a, there's a discipline, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to around that. I mean, can you kind of speak to that as, as for those who are listening? You know, guide energy, if you will, if we want to call it that, is contextual. Hmm. And so it, for anybody who is a guide, like in your position, a guide to younger musicians, you really need relationships with people who are guides to you. 
Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to feel like you're pouring everything out and nobody's pouring back. Wow. And I think one of the hard things to realize is that, you know, we, it's true with our kids, right? It's These are not reciprocal relationships yes, as you would well define said. them with an adult. Yes. Right. They're not. It's not like, you know, I saw this right as we had Emmeline. I saw a quote from George Clooney, of all people. And he said, my kids did not ask to come into this world. I brought them into this world. Therefore, I owe them everything and they owe me nothing. Yeah. Wow. That was incredibly helpful to me as I became a dad because I was just like, Mm. and it was, I'm just so thankful. If I ever meet him, I'm going to say, can I just thank you for one thing? A Mm. a meme on Instagram, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And, um, or quote. And And he'll be like, I don't think I said that. Yeah. I don't think I said that. (laughs) Um, but it helped me understand, look, you are her guide. You are her guide. You are, you you yes, you will be friends, but it'll be a different kind of friendship. But in order to do that, there has to be people that you go to to say, I'm really frustrated and jealous of my own mentee, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And you can have that. You just can't. I don't think you can have that successfully in that kind of relationship. We don't get everything we want. Yes. Um, but yes. if we want to be well a said. really, really good guide, I think we have to make the condition. Now, sometimes as we all get older, um, I've noticed that many of the mentor and guide relationships that I've had, that as I've passed them in terms of book sales or whatever, it killed the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, oh, so that was a relationship where we were only in it because I made you feel good because you could teach me something. Mm. And when I learned that and moved on, it, it affected the dynamic and you yeah. were not willing to learn from me. So I think some of yeah. things are like some of these things are a little bit fluid. They're, they're, and, and you say that well. That's that's another thing that I've noticed with some of my guides. It's like they've become friends now. It's really yeah, yeah, interesting it because you see it change where and you hope kind those of lived, relationships can do that. You do, and, and I, I've been really gracious for those friends who've let that happen, where they haven't they haven't gone like I don't really know how to relate to you now because you're old enough that you don't really need that as much from me like you do, but not like you used to. And now it's just kind of guys sitting there talking and enjoying each other's presence and every now and then I have a piece of wisdom to give or listen but it's really and I love that you said that that is an interesting thing about that seasonal and I think it's probably the same with kids right like at some point Mm -hmm. your kid's gonna sit with you praying we all get to be old enough for this that you kind of go like man you kind of got this like I'm here if you still need me but we can I can actually say something to you that's a little vulnerable as your parent and you take it in a way that doesn't threaten our relationship and the, think the, about it from their perspective. You know, if you did that, I have a friend who who said to me, you know, one of the hardest days of my life was when, my, when I was 20 or something, and my dad said, hey, I'm I'm your dad, but I, I no longer uh, am able to really guide you. We're basically friends and equals now. Wow. And he said, he's still to this day in his 40s, says that was just very painful, and I can't believe he would say that to me. And I, I don't think that's actually the right attitude about that. I think the dad was actually being really honest. Mm-hmm. And what, what my friend was grieving was the fact that he now has responsibility. Yeah. And there, he doesn't have backup. Yeah. And what he yeah. wants is backup. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a transformation that our kids have to make. And it ultimately, you know, I've calculated the days, you guys. And, you know, I'm 50. I hope to make it to 80. So Emmeline has me for 30 years. Mm, yeah. So with with technology these days, they're saying our kids will live into their hundreds, all of them. Wow. And that means my daughter will spend 70 years on yeah. this planet without me. Yeah. And she by the time she dies, I will be a distant, distant memory. Mm. You know, and so I want to be the guide as much as possible for 30 years. And 
I'm writing letters. I'm doing. <laughs> doing yeah. I have a, I have videos and on my iPhone that's a whole folder just for her to watch mm. after I'm dead. Mm. I went and bought a watch and um, a really nice watch. I've never done anything like this. I write a really really nice watch, and I'm writing a letter to her that she can have uh, when she gets married. She will have the watch, and then I'm writing a letter to her husband mm. in case she wants to give the watch to him. Jeez. And on the back of the watch is engraved the words um, uh, love, security, and an example to follow. Mm. And these are the things that Ron Howard, the director, believed that he needed to be in order to be a good dad. And I just borrowed it. I said, that, I, that's, thank you for the guidance, Ron Howard. I, I want to love her. I want to make sure that I do everything I can to be secure, you know, to give her security, physical and emotional and financial. And then I want to be, I want her to be able to look at me and say, that's how you live. Mm. And yeah. if I can do those three things, I think you win, uh, or at least she wins, right? And so um, I, I think there's something about embodying that guide energy, and but I just don't think you can do it unless somebody else is pouring. Yeah. And, and you know, you, so right. you are both a guide and a hero all the time. Yeah. Well, and that, and, and that's it. And you know, I think, Don, your point about two with kids, I think. I'm never more healthy, both as a parent and then as to my younger friends that I spend time with. Boy, that sounds weird out of context. Um, but <laughs> that's my new hey, kid, you like ice cream? Uh, but but you know, I, I'm never better than when I realize it, it's it. This is not going to give me what I want it to give me. A lot yeah. of times, this is a the the context. You said it so beautifully. Like the context for this is not a place where I get. I I do get as Pete Carroll said because there's a sense of benevolence that gives me life and joy, but I'm not going to be able to sit and go like, man, that really that feels like a win for me. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it will in ways, but not to that. And I think with our kids, that's such an important thing too, because it's really easy to look at, I think our kids and kind of go, they do give you so much meaning. They give you so much uh, purpose yeah. and joy, yeah. but, but, but not like we want them to. Right. And I think a lot of times, right. they also and I think, take your freedom. They do. They <laughs> yeah. do. They do. Can we do a whole other podcast? Let's start a new podcast right now. Really more about that. But I think, um, I'm never in a better place when I realize how much of those things are benevolent. They're not right. reciprocal. You know, they're yeah. just giving and knowing that this is an investment to your point, Don, like this is me giving to my family in a way that I, I don't get to probably even see in a lot of ways. Cause I'll be gone, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's the way that I can care and love them well, it, which it is forces, really, it forces selflessness, doesn't it? It does, man. And it I was thinking really the other does. day I was out on the porch with Emmeline and, um, I was thinking how interesting it is that she will never remember any of this. All of these hours, <laughs> she will never. Yeah. And yet, you're having to sacrifice more than you ever sacrificed for anything in your life, yeah, which will be right. not, which will not be remembered. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, she's in other words, she's not present. Yeah. In the long term sense, now her neurons are firing, her brain right. is developing. Right. It's right. Incredibly important that she sees mom and dad. All that stuff is happening, that. which we're giving her that gift for life. But then I, I started thinking. Well, you know what? When when my sister and my wife and I and my two aunts stood around my mother's bed as she breathed her last, my mother was not present. She mm. was hopped up on morphine. And it was so interesting that at the beginning of this life, you won't be remembered. And at the end of this life, they won't remember you in that mm -hmm. moment either. They won't even know that you're there. Mm. And so much of the things that we give just have to be free. Yeah, They just have to be in order to make life work. John. Dave. John. Dave. Can I be honest with you about something? How honest? 
Well, let me do it and then you tell me. Okay. okay. After I'm done listening to all the episodes of Dadville and Repeat, like I do every right. week, just yep. front to back, all 60 something episodes, you know, as one does, <laughs> I love listening to the Matthew West podcast. I, th- I, I knew do you it. were going to say And that. I don't care. I don't I'm, care who knows it. Yeah. you Be proud about that. Thank Listen, you. I am. Matthew's always joined by his favorite artists and authors, athletes, influencers, even. His infinitely interesting guests. They, listen to this, John. You're not going to believe me when I say I won't. it. But I'm going to say it. Mark Hall from Casting Crowns. No. Yep. Best-selling author, Max Lucado. Max Lucado. Yes. Sadie and Corey Robertson. Oh NBA star, Cody. Finish it for me. Zeller. Gosh, you knew it. And best-selling author and speaker, John Gordon. He's got a great first name. I know. <laughs> I love that Matthew takes listeners behind the scenes in every episode to yeah. experience some of the powerful stories behind his music. Episodes are released every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. For more info, check out MatthewWest.com slash podcast. You know, Dave? Matthew is a man of many talents. And can I I've say said, this too? Yeah. And handsome. Oh my gosh. My gracious. Right? Uncomfortably handsome. That is unfair. When he's not working on the Matthew West podcast, he's hitting the road playing his music. And, and he's hitting it hard this year. And looking great. Listen, the brand new tour kicks off February 3rd and runs through May 7th. And just like the incredible guests on his podcast, he's bringing all sorts of talented folks to join him on stage. Like Hannah Kerr. And the guest Ann Wilson. How did you know that? Oh, Jordan just a weird guess. Yep. And Kane. That's that's the rumor on the street. Everybody's yep. talking about and Kane's going to be on various dates, so everybody's going to be there. Listen, if you want to know more about it, go to brandnewtour.com for more details. Well, it's like it's like the difference between uh the hero and the villain. It seems seems is like cruxed on that. It's like, well, the hero is owed nothing. Right. You know, yeah, the hero's just giving. Now, I I do make a point in the book that the objectives and the things that you need to make your story about should actually be mutually beneficial, or they won't work. Mm. In other yeah. words, if it's all about you, you're, it's going to be empty. Um, right. If it's all about them, you're going to burn out. It's got right, to be right, something right. where the two of you are getting something out of this together. And there's, mm. I would, I just make the case there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually yeah, right. what it's the fuel that will keep you going. Yeah. And um, so it doesn't have to be purely sacrificial, but so much of the beautiful stuff that we do in life actually is. And what we get in exchange for that is a sense of meaning. That's what we get. We get a sense of meaning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's such a tricky. <laughs> it, it, you said it so well because it's so true. It's like if it's all about you, you're going to you're going to man, that's just a bad <laughs> yes, scene. It's a villainous story. Uh, but it, it's also true that you can overextend yourself in ways that you burn out and and that's not really helpful either. And I think that's yeah. the humor of the Pete Carroll story is that he is still getting something from that. Totally. I mean, he's getting, yeah. he's make, getting more make, than he ever got no as a mistake. player. Yeah. Like he's getting trophies. He's getting interviews. He gets to sit with Don Miller for three hours. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, but he does get it's things. Like, it's like, and I, I think that this is for me what becoming a dad just, just, um, it, it, like before being a dad, this was something to strive for. This was a concept in my mind that I could try to some on a good day, wrap my head around. And then when I became a dad, it was just like there, it was just default. It's like you get something out of it. You get this, you get meaning out of it, but it's like what I'm getting out of my relationship with Luca and Livy, my daughters is not based on the outcome of any given day. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's almost like, mm-hmm. it's just set. It's there. Mm-hmm. Like I will be getting this, I'll, I'm getting from them just no matter what happens, no matter what they say to me, no matter what mood they're in, no matter what I I'm already getting the the meaning out of it. 
you know, and then, and then now I, I give back to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful perspective because there's a lot of people who don't have that one. Yeah. Right. They don't think of the world that way. My dad, but when I was two, I found him when I was 35. Jeez. And, um, and called him and said, I'm in Chicago. He lived in Indiana. I left a message on his voicemail. It just said, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm going to knock on your door in about four hours. Dude, how was that? Crazy. And what was, what was, what was terrifying to me was I wanted to know why you left. How could you do that? At two, I was two years old. Yeah. I was in the hospital. And he didn't come see me in the hospital. He left. Jeez Louise. And uh, I, uh, you know, my sister was in the hospital. And so we, we had, some, it wasn't an accident or anything. We had some things. But um, how could you do that? You know, how could you do that? And, and I sat with him, knocked on the door, was scared to death, and sat with him. Very happy that he still had his hair. And <laughs> yeah, like that's the main thing I needed to get out of this. Now I'll finish my water and be on my way. How's your blood pressure? Can you can you just roll up your sleeves? <laughs> can we talk just also, like can we just talk milk allergies? Yeah. <laughs> no, not allergies, right? Okay, good, 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 good. Very good. Uh, that's a big one. Anyway, funny. we sat and talked for hours and hours. He had been married for twenty years. His wife left that night so we could be alone. He had an eighteen year old son. Uh, and apparently another son that's half Cuban, so we are franchised around the world. <laughs> and um, he sat and drank a beer and did, never turned Fox News off the whole time and was incredibly nervous, as nervous as me, and just explained the whole thing and how it went down. And it was so re- relieving for me to go, oh, he's just a guy. Mm. Yeah. He's just a guy. He was scared. He was. My mom was emasculating him. He was. He had confessed to her that he still had feelings for a Cuban girl. He confessed to my mother this, and my mother did not take that well. Wow. And was scared to death herself of having her heart broken and all. You know, mm-hmm. you know these things are crazy. These they were in their early twenties, and you know, and um, but it was so relieving for me to actually realize, okay. The person who had the biggest voice to say that you're not worth sticking around for is just a guy. Mm, it's not wow. God. And that was the big healing moment for me then. And then being able to know that Emmeline will not see me as just a guy for a very, very long time and to take responsibility for that and not to pretend to be anything. I heard a story about a dad who would dress up as Spider-Man and in the middle of the night go outside and crawl in his kid's window. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you do he that? was he was in between jobs at the time? I, oh I don't know. I think he had too much to drink. <laughs> but um he, but you know, you don't want to do that whole thing. And some of the healthiest dads I've ever known who have the healthiest kids I've ever known are dads who went, went that sat down with their adult children and said, "Hey, we're going to have a hard conversation. Um here is everything I see in you that is going to screw up your life that I actually gave you." Wow. Here's how I messed you up. Every single one of the kids of a dad who's done that has been among the healthiest people I've ever met. Wow. Uh-huh. And you, I don't think you do it to a 12-year-old. <laughs> right. <laughs> you did. Could you put down the PlayStation real quick? Just <laughs> but, you know, later in life, and I, I absolutely intend to have that, uh, that uh, maybe I'll write it in a letter. If yeah. Mind, look, yeah. I know for a fact I can't control myself daydreaming and staring off into space mm. while I'm present with you. And mm. it breaks my heart that I don't have the discipline. Yeah. You are worth paying attention to. Mm. And I'm sorry if I've ever taught you that you weren't interesting. Yeah. I have to write that letter because I know that I'm going to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Man, that's anyway, so powerful. That's a long Jeez, that's beautiful. Has there been anything that surprised you about how you've responded to being a dad now? Yeah, well, I I became a dad when I was 49 and 2 months later I was 50. So it's really, it's you know it's down there in the in the later in life, you know, <laughs> it's already happened twice. Is this your granddaughter? No, actually it's not. <laughs> I got this is my trophy wife by the way. Right? Um <laughs> that's happened, but um what surprised me the most, uh, an emotion that I did not expect to f- feel was uh, the second she was born through the first two days, I was terrified that this person would not like me. Mm, wow. And was terrified that, and was protecting my heart. And, you know, some of the most healing things that have ever happened in my life is that, is that you know, within two days, when I walked in the room and she saw me, there was just an enormous smile. Mm-hmm. And we were best friends and still are. I mean, she's still, Betsy will say all the time, she right. is obsessed with her daddy, you know? And I'm like, yes, of course she is. <laughs> How could she not be? <laughs> I was shocked, though, that I was worried about that. And yeah. I was and I a little bit upset with myself and disappointed that it would, that it would even matter. Mm. That somehow I'm going to protect my heart from a kid. Yeah. Was and it was so you know into this mm. relationship immediately was sin nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was surprising. And then what? If anybody's listening to this because they're about to become a dad, yeah, here's what yeah. nobody told me. Um, the one thing nobody told me is it will be very, very hard. Maybe you guys have already forgotten this, but it will be very, very hard for the first several months. Right. Right. Because uh, you will believe a lie, and there's no other way not to believe it, that you have lost all of your freedom. Mm. All of it. You are never leaving this house. <laughs> you are a nurse who takes care of a life support patient, and if you leave, they will die. <laughs> you will not watch TV. Yeah, yeah. You will not go to the grocery yeah. store. You will not do any of that. That was shocking to me. I mean, two and a half months in, Betsy and I were negotiating how I could get to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, Thad Cockrell's calls me, hey, you want to get a drink? Like, do you know what's happening to me? <laughs> Read the room, Thad. <laughs> I have lost my life here. We sold both the cars. <laughs> um, other than that, there's only upside. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's so true. I remember Cowart warning me. One of the best pieces of wisdom I ever got was Jeremy Kinos. He was He was ahead of us with kids. And he said, you're going to have about six months where you think the world is ending and your kid won't really care about you as a dad. Like (laughs) sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't even, they don't don't even know you are. It's like, Hey, there's that dude again. But he's like, there's going to be a day when you walk in with each of your kids and they're going to look at you and you'd be like, Holy cow. They're like, she's like looking at me. Like she's smiling at me and it's not mom. And he's like, you know, and that's when it really begins. But he said, you know, it's different for everybody, but he's like, a lot of times you're going to have a free fall where you're like, does it even matter that I'm here? I'm just then, like the, I don't know if you guys and you know I'm I'm not big on who leads a relationship. I think if you if you have to explain that you're the leader, you're not. But <laughs> if, if, if you know in the you know in the relationship for eight years, we're doing everything. We're, we're doing my vision. And yeah, Betsy's yeah. just loving it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, definitely we don't do anything she doesn't want to do. And then instantly, yeah. instantly, <laughs> I am the sous chef. <laughs> I am, I am like. Really? This this is how hot you microwave the bottle? Really? Okay. Go back go back down. Get your <laughs> downstairs 
and get this right. And I'm like, what yeah. happened? I'm so, I'm what so happened sorry. sorry, chef. Sorry, chef. So sorry, chef. Well, but football's on. Oh, football's on. It's oh. football on. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to sit here with a with a robot connected to my boobs pumping milk for this life support patient, and you're going to talk to me about football. <laughs> How are the Seahawks doing, huh? Oh, that's great. Good for you. Good for you. That is hysterical. I wasn't expecting that either. Yeah, that 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 is a crude. That is like I just crude remember. Awakening. Oh my! I, I mean, I literally felt like I could leave and it wouldn't matter. Like I'm just I'm a I'm literally just grunt work. I'm just muscle. And I I felt that way, but I also was like, thank God for Amy. Oh, like, oh that's like, exactly she knows that's the other what side is, of it. She somehow went to a seminar. And learn Overnight. how to do this. I I, I know nothing. Yeah. I, I literally there there's a moment in Indianapolis. I remember we had just had Luca, and I remember like middle of the night, just looking at Amy and being like, "She's she's here. She knows what to do." Were okay. This is a weird question. Were you more attracted to your wife after she became a mom? Absolutely. Oh, I was too. Isn't that weird? It feels I like suddenly for me, I was like, I always thought you were amazing, but now you're kind of like Gandalf. Like, you yes. know, things that are like <laughs> some dark magic that I'm like, now I'm doubly obsessed. Cause I'm like, what is this? Yeah. I had that same thing. thing. I thought she was, I just thought she was so much even prettier. I oh yeah. Betsy doesn't oh, yeah. But I was just like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was really impressed. Which which feeds into the whole like you're really not necessary. You just with the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no no, no. I'm, yeah. See, she, I haven't been inside in a week and a half, and Annie hasn't noticed. <laughs> She's like, "Where's that guy? We have a guy that usually brings the firewood in. Is he here?" The, the wood guy. Yeah, son, you remind me of a man. I we have know. a living wood guy. <laughs> you, you have a look about you. I hope somebody like you can find my children. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay, man. so. First of all, thank you for your time. We we, we end with a couple of questions uh, that we'll we'll uh, we'll end with you. So so buckle up. Um, first question, and again, thanks for this. In the book, by the way, I mean, hero on a mission. Everybody, go check it out. It is uh, it. We we talked about some of these things. It's really it's really helpful. And there's so many great things we didn't get to, like the life plan. There's, there's so there's, many there's, things. There's we many didn't get to. We'll, we'll follow up. We'll do another one. Yeah. Um. So first question: What's the one thing you want Emmeline to know? Well, there's so much that I fear more than, you know, that mm -hmm. says so much about my personality that I fear she would think. Um, the one thing I want Emmeline to know is if it ever came down to her or my ambitions, it's her. Jeez. Man, well said. All right, what do you want your, what do you want Emmeline to say at your funeral? <laughs> well, I've uh, just exactly what I've written. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to write her speech for her. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> to be read really, upon my death. Yeah, it's like my great father. <laughs> it needs to start with a Star Wars quote, just some really random Star Wars quote. She's like, "What does this have to do with anything?" I don't want her to say it, but I hope she feels um, he loved me more than you. <laughs> I mean, I really do, because that's going to be the temptation, right? She's going to yeah. be, "I lost my dad to his work." Oh, I lost yeah. my dad, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wanted, I wanted to be able to know that and say that. You know, I hope that she would say, uh, I hope that she would say, gosh, um, I don't know. I, I, you know, that it, it goes back to you try not to control your kids and you let them, you know, come up with their own understanding. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, if I could just borrow from Ron Howard, it would be he loved me, he kept me safe, and he was an example. Yeah. You know, and I wouldn't be married to the man I'm married to now if it weren't for him. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't think about life 
I, w- I would have given in to so many temptations. You know, I hope that we can. Prov- I can Betsy and I can provide. Her. Betsy's a miracle. She's just such an amazing human being. That's mm-hmm. half like half my strategy is just spend time with her. <laughs> yeah, and, um, just hang with your mom. Just stay <laughs> with cl- your stay close mom. to her. <laughs> yeah, just you know. So, um, but that would be. I think if 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 that's what I'm going to try to do, give her love, security, and example to follow. I hope she would say, "He gave me love, security, and example to follow." Yeah, yeah, and it was obvious. You know, I hope that's the case. You know, I I want I want to say just because it it's what you said earlier. I I think about this a lot with myself, and it's a I think this is hard for me as a dad. Um, and it it's exactly what you said with Clooney. It's exactly what you just answered the first answer with. But I find myself I'm I'm really encouraged to hear you say that because I find myself thinking a lot about this, and the way I think about it is my dreams aren't worth uh i chose to bring my kids into my life and i think me telling them that i'm here to pursue my dreams feels not fair to that decision and so right. i think there's always a really weird line to walk as a as a parent um with occupation that is that is really tricky for me where i'm like look if it's ever between you and what my dreams are i want to pick you but that's really mm-hmm. hard sometimes, and I think it's a discipline. It's, it's a, really hard. It's that's really not hard. A, yeah, you got to kind of reverse engineer your life. Every, every three yes. to five mornings a week, I read my eulogy. Jeez. And it talks about that. I say that I live to eighty-five, and it talks about uh, the very first line is nothing came in between the love story that I had with Betsy and Emmeline. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are t- mornings when I read that, I was like, "Is that true today?" Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of go, okay, we need, we got to work to make that true. And hopefully on more days yeah. than not, that's actually true. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's like, and I think that's yeah. somewhere where, um, you know, ambition and dreams and some of those things get really tricky to me because I think to Clooney's point, like I chose to bring somebody into the world and I don't feel like it's fair saying welcome to it. And I, here's all the stuff I want to go accomplish <laughs> on my own. Yeah. You know what I mean? Figure it out. But it's, it's really empowering and, and encouraging. He said, thank you so much for your time. Guys, this is on the best conversation snowing. I've had in a very, very long time. <laughs> no, I'm uh, serious. Yeah. It. it means a lot that you'd come hang with us. Dun, 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 dun.